Our last, last week we considered the baptism of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit came upon him, empowering him for his ministry. Uh, although he is God in the flesh, he humbled himself. And as the God-man operated through his humanity by the power of the Holy Spirit in the world. And so we see then, after he was baptized, the Spirit does something with him. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness. So lead, read with me uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, as we consider the testing and temptation of Jesus by Satan, whom we all deal with today. So this is very significant for seeing how Christ is triumphant and not being ignorant of Satan's devices as a church. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him in the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. So there is a spiritual world. There is a spiritual world, brothers. And there is a prince of the power of the air, like the Apostle Paul says. And there is a spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And he opposes God. He is void of anything good. He is wounds and he is death. He disguises himself as an angel of light. And he works covertly and hiddenly. Now, I want you just to ask yourself a question. When are the times in Scripture where Satan is most prevalent? Think about the times in Scripture where he's most visible. There's a lot of times where he's hiding behind the scenes, right? He's in the heavens. Allowing, uh, influencing evil to happen in the world, like in Job. But there are times where there are particular and peculiar threats to Satan's dominion. And when threats occur, 
it, I believe, comes on the radar of Satan. And once it's on Satan's ra radar, Satan himself becomes more visible and prevalent in the world. And so think of Genesis 3, when God created humanity and they were in the Garden of Eden. Satan entered the world. Something significant was happening. Man created in the image of God to worship and to reflect his nature. That's when Satan became prevalent in the world because there was a threat to him. In Revelation, when God is going to put all things right, we see Satan mount up an army and kind of rear his ugly head, right? And here, Jesus, God becoming incarnate in the world. Many, many aspects of Satan's hand are seen in the beginning of Matthew. Herod is slaughtering children. There's demons everywhere in the Gospels, just everywhere in the Gospels. Even saying to Jesus, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So Satan becomes prevalent when there is a threat to him. He comes out of the shadows then, right? When God's will enters the world, so does Satan, it seems. Now, something, something very, brothers and sisters, something very significant happened in our Bible study on Wednesday. It was almost as if the presence of God was there in a, in a palpable way. We decided to be more vulnerable and confess our sins with, to one another. And we had such an edifying conversation about that. Um, what do you think Satan will try to do to this congregation now? I mean, if we're going to really try to be a congregation who really tries now to take off masks and really tries to bear one another's burden and sin in prayer. And we're, we're really known by one another. I wonder what Satan might try to do to this congregation. Because not, that would make us a threat, more of a threat to his kingdom. So, as I look at this passage today, what is on my heart is that we would look at it with an eye to not being ignorant to Satan's devices. Personally, but also corporately, since we res we've resolved to do this thing. I forgot to announce that we're going to have a prayer meeting. This is another thing. Brother Ryan has encouraged me to pray in the morning, early in the morning, with him together, and we are inviting you out to that. So the first, the first, the every Friday was it every Friday, every Friday in the month of February at six a.m. at my house, we will pray for a half an hour. The men will gather. We'll pray for a half an hour. I'll be. I'll, we'll announce that and send more communications out about that. But now, if we're really going to be more prayerful. 
and confess our sins to one another, what do you think Satan will try to do among us? Now, in this passage, Jesus is tested in the wilderness. And as I've kind of pointed out earlier, Jesus is replaying the history of Israel, right? Israel passed through the waters of the Jordan and spent 40 years in the wilderness going to the promised land. Unsurprisingly, Jesus, having received passing through the waters of baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit, goes out into the wilderness to spend 40 days of years in the wilderness, recapitulating the, the history of Israel so that an unfaithful history can now be filled up with, by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. He, so he's acting on their behalf becoming the substitute, himself becoming the true Israel. And so what does Satan do? Well, Satan afflicts him and tempts him. And when Satan afflicts and tempts you, what, he has aims. He has aims. He's not just trying to harass you in abstract ways, although he does do that. But his aims are much more pointed and devious than annoying you. His aims, I think, are, are clearly articulated by Job's wife. Curse God and die. That's what Job's wife said to him. And that is what Satan is attempting to do in your spirit. Look at the church, a bunch of hypocrites. Curse God and die. Look at you. You call yourself a Christian. Look at the sin you're still in. Look at, look at the lack of progress you've had. See how the Holy Spirit has not taken a hold of you. Curse him and die. Brothers, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. And now that is not an excuse for you to, to remain in sin, by the way. We're talking about spiritual progress and formation. Okay, God wants something more than, for you than to just be forgiven. He wants you now, having been forgiven, to live your lives as a sacrifice before him, holy and acceptable before him, which is your spiritual worship. However... However, Satan is an accuser. So let's look at this passage and see if we can discern some of Satan's devices, shall we? In verse 1, first of all, we see that it is the spirit that leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So it's the spirit that does this. This is not nearly a tempting, this is a testing, by the way. Yes, Satan does tempt, but the Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness to test his sonship. And I want you to know that two of the three temptations are attempted with the phrase, if you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, then do this thing. You see, what Satan is doing, he is not denying Christ's sonship here. He is inviting Jesus to reflect upon the meaning of his sonship. If you really are the Son of God, 
then you have these privileges and you have these promises. You see how Satan tempts and deceives. He's very subtle. Very subtle. He's not overt. He's subtle and he's reasonable. So if you are the Son of God, testing is exactly what Jesus did. So when I talk, think about this Israel-Jesus parallel. This is exactly what Jesus did with Israel in the wilderness. He tested them. According to Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3, we see that God tested Israel to know what was in their hearts. That's quoting verbatim from Deuteronomy 8.2. To know what was in their hearts, to see whether they would keep his commandments. In verse 3, and he provided them with manna so that they would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you, do you see what's happening here? It's the same testing so that the true Son of God could go through the same testing that Israel failed in the wilderness. Grumbling and complaining, worshiping golden calves, rebelling against Moses, 2,000 dying in a single day because of God's judgment, and not entering the promised land. Only only Aaron and Caleb, if I remember right. So, he put Israel to the test. They failed. The, the wilderness did reveal what was in their heart. Now Christ is being put to the test to see if he is truly the Son of God. Um. So this is a testing, not just a temptation or a trial. This shows us something about how God works. And I think he will allow us to go through times of tempting or trials in order to see what is in your heart. And so I want to encourage you not to, not to just look at trials in your life as trials, but look at them as tests to prove your love and worship of God. He did that with Abraham, right? Go sacrifice your son, your only son whom you love. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So there's a strength of character when your faith is tested and you pass the test. You are strengthened. Your faith increases. Your holiness is is crystallized. Your zeal is inflamed just a little bit more. Having passed the test, it propels you to greater faithfulness. And God will continue to give you tests in your life to demonstrate your love for him, your understanding of his worth, and to grow in holiness. So very often, the way we grow is through trials. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
And then steadfastness will have its full effect in your heart. Now, how did Satan tempt Jesus? There are three temptations, three devices that Satan uses against Jesus. First of all, first device is he tempts Jesus with his weakness. The preposition is important there. Not in his weakness, but with his weakness. Jesus had been fasting 40 days in the wilderness. One would be hungry after such a fast, would they not? And Satan attacks Jesus at that very point of weakness. It's at that point of weakness. And on the basis of that weakness, that Satan comes to test him. This, brothers, this is how Satan works. He sees your weakness and uses it against you. J.R. Parker said, Satan is not like a boxer. He doesn't come up and smash, smash you in the face and knock you down. That you'd be ready for it then, right? J.R. Parker said, he's more like a judo master. And in judo, what you do is you use your own opponent's weight against him. You displace him. And that's exactly what Satan does. He uses your own weight against you, your weakness against you. So you need, to, you need to ask yourself, what is your particular weakness? What dispositions and moods are you prone to? If you're a person that's particularly melancholy and prone to depression, Satan will not waste his time, perhaps, testing, tempting you to lust. If you're a person that is prone to anger, Satan will not waste his time tempting you with, uh, with other things. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to test you at the, the point of your weakness. So ask yourself what sinful moods, what unhelpful habits are you prone to developing? What temptations awaken the flesh in you, brothers? What awakens the flesh within you? The flesh could be desires. They could be dispositions and states of frames of mind that trickle down into your heart and your spirit and allow, and make you exist in a... hold you down like you're underwater for a time. That's where Satan will attack. So how does Jesus defeat Satan, though? So it's one thing to be ignorant, aware of his devices, but how do you defeat Satan? Well, first, be aware of it. Second of all... Jesus quotes the word of God. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Directly quoting from Deuteronomy 8.3. So when Satan tempted Jesus with physical weakness, Christ used scripture. He hit him with the word. He slapped back with the word of God. 
So what are you doing when you're tempted? What are you you slapping back with? What are you challenging Satan with? Nothing? Jesus said, look at the words of verse 4. Man shall not live, live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus speaks about the word, brothers and sisters, not in terms of a luxury where if you have time for it, then it's nice. He speaks about it in terms of life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, if you don't eat, you know what happens to you? You die. And if, if Jesus is saying man does not live by bread alone, right, Jarcel? Man doesn't live by bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's talking about it in terms of life. And so, by way of encouragement, please read your Bible. That, that's, we're going to talk about this in Bible study. But give time for the word of God to take root within you. You eat every day, right? And when you eat, perhaps you don't feel the nutrients and the proteins going through your bloodstream and course into your body and carrying it through the organs. And you don't see, you don't feel the health and the vitality that it gives to your bones. Granted, and perhaps you won't feel Every time you pick up the word, the same thing happening. But eat. You've got to eat anyhow. Let's be a church where the word of God dwells within us richly. If you do not have the word, you will be weakened. Not, Not just knowing the word, but to have the word dwell within you richly. That requires some thoughtful meditation, through, by consistently taking it into yourself. Maybe you need to read less and meditate more. Again, that's a Bible study thing. But read, read your Bibles, brothers and sisters. <laughs> because Satan will tempt you at your point of weakness. And if you cannot preach to yourself with the Word of God... If you do not have a truth to rely on that is settled deep within your spirit, Satan's words might take root. Second temptation is, is or Satan tempts Jesus by twisting Scripture. So Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is almost now as if Satan says, oh, Oh, so you live by the word, do you? Oh, so it's scripture that you live by. Oh, so your weakness is not the body. It's more faithfulness to, to God. It's, it's more scripture then that, I, that we're going to go to then. You live by the word, then let to the word we shall go. 
And the devil took him to a holy city, to the holy city, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, there is that phrase again. Reflect on the meaning of this. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, it is written. Man, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Quoting from Psalm 91, verses 11 through 12. So what Je- once Jesus establishes he lives by the word, it's the word that Satan uses against him. How many have wandered off into spiritual danger, not just error, but danger by a misinterpretation of Scripture? Like Satan is, a, is attempting... It's, it's amazing. Satan is tempting Jesus with a hermeneutical error. <laughs> he is taking a passage and presenting a meaning... That was not intended by that passage. So Jesus understands the difference between trusting God and testing God. He understands the difference between relying on God in times of need and danger even. He knows the difference between that and seeking out danger and then requiring God to get you out of it. There is a difference there. One is done in faith. The other is done presumptuously. So we can test God. But Jesus quotes scripture. He says, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So there is a difference there. Don't, not putting God to the test. Temptation number three. After this, he tempted Christ to receive glory. Satan tempted Christ, get this, to receive glory from his own hands rather than the glory that comes from God. Again, verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The temptation here is, Worship me in exchange for glory. Now, for Jesus, this was... particularly deceptive because Jesus did come for glory and Jesus did come to earth to receive a kingdom and he did come for all the kingdoms in the world he did and that's precisely what Satan is offering him But he was going to receive that glory and that authority, not from Satan, but from the Father. And that's why in the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me from my Father. 
Jesus is the Son of Man in Daniel 7 who approaches the Ancient of Days and receives glory and honor, honor and immortality and a kingdom that shall not pass away. So know who Jesus wanted to receive glory from. Now, uh, Satan, I don't think, has gone to any of you and tempted you to fall down and worship him for glory. But there is a subtle way in which that temptation always exists. It is summarized in the phrase, do you want the praise of man or the praise of God? The praise of man versus the praise of God. What, what is it that we are living for? And you have to, you have to understand that the two will be different very often. Because man will value certain things and God looks at the heart so understand that this temptation exists as an echo even today so zooming out from the passage what are the aims of Satan what was his purpose his purpose was to forfeit make Jesus forfeit his mission and use his prerogatives as the Son of God in a way that serves himself instead of serving the people he came to save. And that would have destroyed his mission. He would not have been the perfect sacrifice at that point. And I believe Jesus felt these temptations. Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted as a man. He was tempted just as we are yet without sin. I believe Jesus truly felt these temptations. They were, not, they were not just perfunctory. He was not just performing Israel's history. I think he was actually, as a man, feeling the temptations himself and passing the test. <coughs> and the, the most devious way that is done Again, I say it is if you are the Son of God phrase that Satan uses. If you are the Son of God. Reflect on the meaning of that. What would God want for a son? See how that's deceptive. Now I want to just take you to the cross for a minute. With that in mind, turn to Matthew 27, verse 38 through 40. So Satan is not denying, again I say, he is not denying Christ's sonship. He is telling Jesus to reflect on the meaning of his sonship in order to get him to forfeit his mission as the Son of God. When Jesus was up on the cross, this is when it all came down to a point. The incarnation, the life of Jesus, it, the miracles, it was now all coming to this point when he hung on the cross. Do you know he could have called 12 legions of angels down? But it would not have accomplished his will, the Lord's will. He could have taken himself off the cross but it would not have accomplished the salvation of humanity. And so, what is very interesting 
is that Satan speaks through the people at the foot of Jesus' cross. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God, and come down from the cross. You see this? You see what Satan has done? The people at the foot of the cross have joined their voices to Satan, tempting in a slanderous way Jesus to come down and forfeit the atonement that he had planned from the beginning of time. So the the temptation of Satan is deceitful and wicked and it is always aimed, always aimed at destroying God's purposes for salvation. And he will do anything to end the mission of Christ. Now I ask you, Satan tempted Jesus with hunger, twisting of the word, and self-exaltation. Now you're Bible readers. I ask you, where else do we see Satan tempting someone to eat something, perverting God's word, in order to get them to elevate themselves? Where else would we see something like that? Why we see it in the garden where Satan tempts Eve to eat, twists the word of God. Did God really say? And promises you will be like God. So since the beginning, brothers and sisters, since the very beginning, Satan has had the same kinds of devices. They aim at your weakness, They twist the word of God. That thing you trust in. It's always the thing you trust in. When it comes to Satan's device of of twisting the word, he will take the thing we trust in and he will twist it in such a way that casts doubt on its meaning, its validity and application to your life. And will tempt you rather... To be like God. What is very interesting about Satan's temptation. Doesn't he say to Eve. God knows. That if you eat this fruit. He'll be like God knowing good and evil. He, he, know, he does not have your best interest in mind. What's so deceptive about the way Satan tempts is that even after Eve ate the fruit and she and Adam were banished from the garden, Satan could come right along Eve and Adam, put his arms around them and said, see, I told you so. You see that? You see how God just didn't want you to know about good and evil? Here, come, follow me. This is how Satan works. It's temptation upon deception upon deception. 
So, know this, brothers. Every time a threat surfaces in the world, Satan seems to become more prevalent. And we do not want to be ignorant of Satan's devices in this church as we commit ourselves to more prayer and confession among us. Let's be aware of Well, let's be aware too. Let's be aware to love one another from a pure heart and seek one another's ultimate good and flourishing. If we keep our minds on that, our eyes on that, we're going to be all right. If we don't, then there is great danger in a church that is trying to do the Lord's will. This is not to say we're more significant than other churches, but I just find it interesting that we made these two resolves for prayer and confession. And I'm reading about Satan this week. And it just crystallized in my mind what we may face unless we are aware of his devices. Just a few uh, theological observations to close out. Please note, there are spiritual forces in heavenly places, and they are trying to get you to curse God and die. They are trying to siphon faith from you, doubt the word of God, twist it, there are spiritual forces of darkness and I I fear that we don't understand the weightiness of the things that happen to us day by day they seem mundane in our hearts but wrestle against flesh and blood We we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against spiritual forces of darkness in heavenly places if that sounds too supernatural for you brothers Know that Satan cloaks himself. He cloaks himself. He doesn't look like a ghoul. He disguises himself as an angel of light. So, be aware of them. Also be aware that Satan is a defeated enemy. And that he has only the power that you allow him to. He cannot wrench you from the hands of God. Nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ. There is no force that can wrench you from the hand of God. Nor height, nor depth, nothing can take you and rip you out of the love of God in Christ. So he is a defeated enemy. Know that too. So have great confidence as we talk about the danger of Satan who does work in the sons of disobedience and does prowl around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Know this, brothers, that he is a defeated foe. Finally, if you are outside of Christ, he is not defeated for you. And so I want to implore you on the behalf of on behalf of God, be reconciled to him in the name of Jesus Christ.
if you don't know where you stand with Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you even now to choose this day who you will serve. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and make him your Lord and Savior. And then we would love to talk with you. Any member here would love to talk with you about that. But Satan does prowl around. And there is no protection outside of Christ. And he is tempting you to curse God and die. But we look to Jesus Christ. Who is not just the true Israel, but he is the better Adam, right? In Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. So there is life in Jesus Christ. There is protection in Jesus Christ. Run to him. He is the strong tower. If you run to him, you will be safe. And let us as a church not be ignorant of Satan's devices, but remain within Christ by faith. Amen? Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer.